It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. So before we get to calls, um, I just teased ahead to ryegrass. And this has been on my radar to ask you for months because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of folks will use ryegrass in the wintertime because it stays green and it kind of holds the soil in place and all that kind of thing. Now, do they overwinter with rye where a warm season lawn currently exists? Is there a reason to do that? <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I want to start with this. Uh, we, we have two grasses out there, two species. There's annual ryegrass and perennial ryegrass. And uh, they are two separate species. And for us here in the South, we don't let the word perennial confuse us. Uh, it sounds like it could. It doesn't perennialize. We, we do plant it in the fall of the year let it come up, give us green color through the winter and spring. And then we want it and the annual ryegrass both to die off mid to late spring such that our warm season grasses that it's generally planted into um, will then kind of grow and thrive. And that process is called overseeding. Okay. So we overseed in the fall of the year, late summer, early fall. We let those grasses come up, give us uh, color through um, the fall of the uh, fall, winter, and spring of the year, and then we want our warm season grasses to to live. And I would encourage our listeners today to take the advantage of our opportunity to to watch a little bit of the ladies' uh, amateur women's amateur in Augusta, mm. and you'll see Augusta National, and that's being played on overseeded perennial ryegrass. Wow! So, um, with the exception of the putting greens, uh, what you're seeing there is is perennial ryegrass uh, on it, and uh, the advantage of trying to get rid of it getting rid of it in the in the spring of the year is such that we don't have that competition for water light space and nutrients uh, at that time ryegrass is acting as a weed against our our warm season species bermuda grass and because of that competition overseeding is can be quite detrimental to our warm season grasses so the only one we even talk about overseeding really with is is into bermuda grass it can be harmful to zoysia can definitely be harmful to centipede i'll never forget one situation where a centipede grass was lawn was was uh overseeded with uh rye grass it was in the savannah area i think the lady had two truckloads oh, of uh, and uh in the spring of the year and, and i was asked to come in and look because all her centipede grass was dead and uh she asked me she said what do i do now i said you buy two more truckloads of centipede you you bought you got what you paid for here but the competition in the spring uh, was just so much that the centipede couldn't survive uh, on it. So that that competition for light water space and nutrients in the spring can be quite a bit from the rye, uh, from the ryegrass and make it difficult for warm season species to green up and grow. But are folks really just not okay with looking at a brown dormant lawn? Many I mean, aren't, but um, and where seed prices are because of issues, wildfire issues, and supply chain and that kind of thing back in Oregon, where all that seed is produced last year, seed prices spiked. Back in the, and they're still riding very high. So we don't see a lot of lawns being overseed, not as much as we used to. And many of our turf colorants or pigments um, are much better than they used to be. And uh, so in those situations where folks just really want to see green color, um, it's, it's better to have it painted or dyed or colored um, uh, on it. Okay. And, and some of those can actually look pretty good on our warm season. So things like Bermuda grass and zoysia grass can actually look pretty good on 
So the fact that rye is going to die off with the warmer temperatures, it's not meant to be a stable. It's not a year-long species for us here in the state of Georgia. If we were in New Jersey or Illinois or something like that, then then perennial ryegrass will perennialize and it'll persist throughout the year. But for us here in the state of Georgia, it really doesn't. Now, what if, um, I'm trying to remember back to a really good caller I had a couple of months ago, what if you're kind of in that transition phase of just, you know, bare dirt, but it's off season, so you're not able to lay sod at that time because it's not the right time of year. Would it behoove someone, is is ryegrass a good go-to to keep the soil in place before you're able to move to your Absolutely. next Absolutely. No, and, and I think I was listening that morning whenever and you had you it. And, and, and you heard me panicking. And I think you hit it spot on. Um, absolutely. No, soil stabilization, that's one of those ecosystem services that okay. turf, one of the good things that mm-hmm. turf does is um, um, is, is stabilize the soil. So that deep, extensive root system that turf has does provide a benefit. And uh, so absolutely, in a situation like that, ryegrass germinates rapidly. So depending on soil temperatures, it can germinate anywhere from about three to seven, ten days. Wow, that is fast. Yeah, real fast. So get a quick root system in, stabilize the soil, prevent erosions, prevent soil loss, prevent it from getting into storm sewers and creeks and rivers and, and that type of thing. So those those services and benefits that, that turf provides, we can take advantage of. Any reason at all to intermingle fescue and rye? You would never really have that, for instance, would you? It Most folks look for uniformity. That's, that's a common thing for us in turf. It's a quality business, mm-hmm. and uniformity is generally a part of that. Um, so tall fescue and rye don't have necessarily the same color um, on it, but I have seen the two of them. You can intermix the two of them knowing that the tall fescue has got more heat tolerance and will persist a little bit better year in and year out than the ryegrass will. So early on, you might mix the two of them at seeding mm-hmm. just to get that rapid germination. Tall fescue will be a, a little bit behind uh, the, the ryegrass typically, but not terribly far. Okay. So good. We're not far from uh, when you're not going to have to worry about your ryegrass, but that's interesting. LeBay from Morrow. Are you there? Yes, I am. All right. Thanks for calling. You've got a good question about identifying a very particular uh, lawn in the metro Atlanta area. Yes, I was at the Capitol this past Monday. And that lawn is just gorgeous. It's so emerald green. I don't know what we would have to do to have in, in our lawns, but what do they do at the Capitol? I've, I've worked with those folks down there in the past, and, and that's tall fescue. And this is the time of year where tall fescue looks absolutely its best. It, it shines this time of year, and it's, it's the, the time where folks go, oh, I really want tall fescue, just how pretty it is. That mm-hmm. emerald dark green, that lush look to it. Yeah. And tall fescue will look fantastic in March, April, early mid-May, depending on the temperatures. And uh, around the Capitol is one where legislative sessions in, so we want the legislators to see pretty green grass. And that site used to have a good good number of trees on it. They've limbed some of them up, and I think they've lost a few, so it's a little more sunlight than it used to. But under under that shady condition, that tall fescue was the right species or right plant for right place. It's so persisted. That would be good, LeBay, to fall back on fescue if you do have a little bit of shade. It's more shade tolerant. Um, but Clint, maybe just two or three tips for LeBay and for others, how to keep it that lush green. What do we do? <laughs> uh, proper mowing. Mm-hmm. So we need to be mowing it somewhere around about two and a half to three inches tall. Um, the other would be is proper fertilization. Is that uh, is two or three times a year enough on fescue? Shall we say four? Okay, so four one pound, but two in the fall and two in the spring. Always an active growth, so keep That's that correct. in mind. There's no need in fertilizing fescue 
when it's kind of struggling in the summer, that's not going to help perk it up. It just is not going to do well in the heat. That's correct. It's okay. going to thin out. And it's it's a physiological defense mechanism that it starts to thin out and open up in the summertime. So it's trying to conserve resources. So that summer swoon that we see in July and August mm-hmm. um, is the plant just trying to make sure it gets from one stress event or one environmental stress event to the next. And once we get into mid-September, those nighttime temperatures fall. Um, we get less daylight. And as we move into mid to late September, early October, we move into environmental conditions. So that plant's just trying to survive through that stress period. And um, so it'll thin out, it'll open up, and then we get into to the fall of the year and we get uh, what October, November, early December, and tall fescue can look pretty good again. Start looking good. So there you go. All right. Next question is from Vince listening this morning. Checked in on the Green and Growing Facebook page. Brand new Zoysia sod. How soon should he allow the yard service to apply a pre-emergent, and should he let them fertilize now? Are we a little late for a pre-emergent? We're probably not late for a pre-emergent. Um, if it hasn't rooted in, uh, I might would be a little hesitant because any of our pre-emergents are going to inhibit rooting, even from sod. That's that's their job is, is they will be taken up by the plant where that root comes in contact with it. So it could nub those roots off and delay um, tacking of, of that new sod. So if, if it's just recently been sodded and we don't have any root growth or very limited root growth, I think I'd hold off on the, the pre-emergence herbicide and let that grass get rooted in. And I think if you look at those labels, they'll say much. Okay. And then similar kind of thing when it comes to fertilization. Now is too early on our warm season grasses. Our soil temperatures at the four inch depth in Griffin are just barely 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. So we typically, we like to say we don't fertilize with nitrogen fertilizer on our warm season grasses until the soil temperatures at 65 degrees or at four inches soil temperatures at four inches are consistently 65 degrees and rising we don't have root activity really going on right now to uptake those nutrients so if you go out and fertilize now uh, that rain moves the nitrogen below the root system it can't be taken up it's not assimilated in the plant and that money you spent on the nitrogen you just kind of washed it literally washed it out so vince can certainly tell his yard service Hold off. Yeah, just go away, leave me alone for a little bit. Yeah, give me about three or four weeks, yeah. Okay, well, that's good news. I always like when we tell people, you don't have to do much. That's a good answer. People people appreciate that. 404-872-0750. So Vince asking about a pre-emergence herbicide. That is what is going to tackle the weeds before they grow or they start to germinate, and then it's going to knock them back. It's not always 100%, but it at least gets you kind of in the right mode. Ira in Conyers, good morning. Good morning. First, I must thank you so much for your, I call it the university on the phone. Oh, thank (laughs) you. Fancy. Okay. Now, my question is, I have the Bermuda grass, and there was controversial um, with my neighbors and I because of the first number of inches that you should do for the very first cutting. The, so the first cutting of the season, right? Yes, before the pre-emergence, yes. Okay, so mm. we're wanting to know the best height to mow that to, Clint, and then every mowing thereafter, what's your advice for ERA? So our target mowing height for Bermuda grass on an average home lawn in the state of Georgia is inch, inch and a half. That's how much you, that's how tall you want it. That's how tall you want it, so... Um, depending on where they were on this beforehand. Again, I wouldn't be mowing Bermuda grass down low at this point. And the pre-emergents are going to move their way into the soil ca- or turf canopy. So if you're not an inch and a half, don't drop it down there right now. But uh, try to work your way down the spring, early summer, down to about an inch, inch and a half is where we, we would like to maintain Bermuda grass in the state of Georgia. That's easy enough. Yeah. 
Time to take a quick break. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. I have so enjoyed having UGA Turfgrass Specialist Clint Waltz on the show, hopefully to return sometime before the end of summer. And for more of the great questions that I received either on the air or on the Facebook page during Clint and I's conversation, you can jump over to the Facebook page. Green and Growing WSB is all you search. Green and Growing WSB. And there will be a link to my website with a list of the questions and answers submitted by you. And, of course, the answers that come from Clint. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. So we haven't heard the last of Clint just yet. He's coming up with something to add to my top three. So really a number four. Uh, number one, clean out bird baths. Keep them half full with water. Make sure you're keeping up with hummingbird feeders too, cleaning them and filling them. Number two, large dirt mounds in sunny areas. Sound familiar? You've got fire ants. The mounds can reach seven inches high and 24 inches or more across. Yikes. Use a broadcast bait. Brands like Amdro or Ortho going to get the job done. Number three, plant corn, bean, and pea seeds now. Plant tall growing crops like okra, but more like pole beans and corn on the north side of other vegetables. That makes sense if you think about it. That'll prevent the other ones from getting shaded out. And plant two or more rows of corn for better pollination. Now, as promised, with number four, UGA turfgrass specialist Clint Waltz is back. So aside from maintaining good mowing practices, um, keeping tall fescue at two to three inches high, the warm season grasses like Bermuda, centipede, zoysia, and so on, mowing those to about an inch and an inch and a half in height. And man, Clint, with my tall fescue, I'm trying to keep up with mowing that at least every five to nine days, uh, really not waiting too long in between. But otherwise, what is something that's very timely that folks could be doing on their lawns right now this weekend? Now's a good time to get our fertilizer, first nitrogen fertilization application out on our warm season grasses. So if you have Bermuda grass or centipede grass or St. Augustine grass or, or uh, zoysia grass, uh, this is the time of year to go ahead and get that first nitrogen application out on those. Uh, environmental conditions are favorable for growth. Folks need to get right on that. Thank you so much, Clint. So coming up, when we return, a conversation I had with an entrepreneurial spirit here in Atlanta, a really unique recycling center in the heart of the city, all the things that they recycle and why. What's the motivation behind it? I'm just fascinated by this. Can't wait to share the story with you and maybe inspire you to either volunteer there or start to think about how you can be more efficient and less wasteful with the everyday items that you used to use and you don't have a use for anymore. I'm glad you're here. Happy Saturday morning. You know you're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, welcome back to Green and Growing right here on 95.5 WSB. Ashley Frasca with you this Saturday morning. Happy to be here, too. And you know, the end of the month of April, you think Easter has come and gone, but Earth Day, Earth Day, April 22nd, so it was hard for me to not want to 
Resist the urge to talk about recycling, environmental topics, and some of you are so stoked about some of the amazing things that are going on with recycling. And part of the reason I thought about this too, I received a hefty orange bag in the mail, and it's a hefty energy bag, and kind of got to looking into that, how it works, and basically you can just start to uh, recycle those hard to recycle plastics that don't quite fall into something common. And we went one step wider than that with a recycling center in downtown Atlanta that is going to be such a fascinating story for all of you to hear. And I want to start off by introducing the executive director of Live Thrive Atlanta, Peggy Whitlow Ratcliffe with me this morning. Peggy, thank you so much for coming on Green and Growing. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this. So we're going to talk about CHARM in just a minute, the Center for Hard-to-Recycle Materials. But I want you to let folks know first what Live Thrive is, and then we'll eventually get to the relationship there. Live Thrive Atlanta is a 501c3 that I started back in 2010. My parents passed away, and I was tasked with cleaning their house out. My dad was a gardener and had chemicals, pesticides and herbicides and dust and things from the 1970s and wow. 80s. And it was, you know, things that they all have in their garage and the crawl space. That it's like, what do we do with these? And I really wanted to find a responsible way to dispose of them. And when I researched, there was nowhere in the major metro area for me to do that. So it led me on a journey um, to, to say, what do we do? So I went to the municipality, the city of Atlanta, and asked, what do we do with this? And at that point in time, which was about 2009, they really didn't have an answer. And further research took me that a lot of the municipalities surrounding the metro area had done these household hazardous waste collections annually for their residents to be able to get dispose of these materials responsibly once a year. I was like a dog with a bone at this point. <laughs> um, doing research, I also found out that the city of Atlanta's tap water quality at that time was 13th worst in the nation for household disposal. And that, that just was like, oh, no, we need to do something about this. So further research, long story short, I went and received assistance from athens Clark County on how they did household hazardous waste collections oh. once a year got a little how-to book, and went back to the city of Atlanta and said, okay, I want to do this. And as we all know, all nonprofits start by the need of uh, the residents where the municipality leaves off. So that kind of led me to start Live Thrive. And it was really started so that I could have um, create the city of Atlanta's first household hazardous waste collection in 2010. And it was just one day, four hours for people to clean out their garage and their call space to bring all these same materials that I found in my parents' house, and it was disposed of in a proper way. So that's kind of how Live Thrive got started. That's awesome, and, and it starts with a passion and a curiosity. Like you said, yes, if there's a need, but you know, you like you like you said, a dog with a bone. You weren't willing to give that up. So there's more on the website LiveThrive.org. So in doing that, uh, you were able to discover a facility that existed out in Colorado. Is that right? And kind of bring that uh, those mechanics t- to Atlanta. Yes. Doing all this research, I found the center for the original Center for Hard to Recycle Materials in Boulder, Colorado, and I had the opportunity to go and visit, and it, I was so amazed and impressed. Um, it, they took it a step further than our regular recycling centers and had a big section for electronics and for paint and for the household chemicals 
all of the things that we had taken in that one-day collection, they had a permanent location that that residents could come at their leisure and bring this material. So that was exciting. And so I came back. It's like, we, we need this in Atlanta. We need this in Atlanta. So how did that happen? Was it a lot of bureaucratic hoops to jump through to get a, a recycling center set up on Hill Street in Atlanta? Absolutely. The, that first household hazardous waste collection was done in 2010, and it was five years later in April of 2015 that, the, that our Center for Hard to Recycle Materials opened. In that time, I formed the nonprofit, confirmed the nonprofit was Live Thrive, and with the city of Atlanta, um, they donated the property. I pay a dollar a year for this property wow. down on Hill Street. And then the rest, it was like, okay, here's the, the land. You go for the rest of it. So it has been a um, world of knowledge that I never knew I would even try to understand and a challenge. You know, funding is always going to be a challenge when you have a nonprofit and you're competing with things, you know, even through COVID. There's so many things that are immediate needs that we need to donate to children and animals, cancer Mm -hmm. for something like something people consider to be trash. It's a challenge to get uh, funding for this. Now, is there a portion of certain things that people bring to be recycled or maybe just repurposed or reused? Is there an organization or a nonprofit that you work with to get people maybe clothing or a mattress or furniture or something like that? Absolutely. Those partnerships are crucial. Um, We work with a minimum of five other nonprofits in the city. Um, We Musical instruments, sports equipment, clothing, um, mattresses furniture, household goods, all of those things we try to get back into community. Um, and that we have quite a few wonderful other nonprofits in the city that definitely benefit for people to be able to clean out their home, drop the materials off for us, and then us to be able to redisperse them to them. That's fantastic. And this is quite an operation, folks. If you can't picture what Peggy is talking about, this location at 1110 Hill Street, right in downtown Atlanta, there's a video on livethrive.org. And it's fascinating. It shows just the organization, like you said, Peggy, people wanting to recycle electronics, paint, uh, plastic straws, even mattresses. What about, this is kind of out there, but what about tires? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Um, This neighborhood specifically, when we first moved in seven years ago, the, the city of Atlanta at any given time has over 200,000 illegally dumped tires, yeah. which is horrifying. Um, but the good news is um, since we've been here, the neighborhood, people just folks just pick them up and bring them to us and they go to a local recycler. And the exciting piece of this is, is those tires are the, it's melted down, added with asphalt, and we fill all of those nice big potholes we have in the city. <laughs> I'm sure the mayor of Atlanta appreciates that. No matter who's in office, they always get hassled about the road conditions and potholes, so for sure. But just to uh, brag on, I'm, I'm speaking with Peggy Whitlow Ratcliffe, the executive director of Live Thrive, and we're talking about CHARM, the Center for Hard to Recycle Materials. Uh, just by the numbers, you know, COVID is probably not standard for the numbers for you guys, but still in 2021, last year, 13 million pounds of things recycled when you think about almost 38,000 pounds of styrofoam, glass, mattresses. Peggy, that's incredible. How do you think you attribute the the number of, of people coming to recycle things? How do you all get the word out? It has been fascinating to see the growth. We opened in 2015. The first year we had 5,000 visitors. 
And then last year it was 62,000 wow. visitors. Um, you know, the, the platforms that, you know, people like you, um, definitely the um, next door spreads the word for us. Um, try to make sure that we're in festivals and things like that to hand out information. But word of mouth definitely has has been the best vehicle for us to get the word out. We do work with the city council members of Atlanta and the commissioners of Fulton and DeKalb County to try to they get it out through their newsletters to their constituents, which definitely helps. Such an organized system at Live Thrive and the Charm Recycle Center. Um, how do you operate? Is it off volunteers who are able to assist residents that come in or paid staff? How does that work? Since COVID, it's been paid staff. You know, COVID kept us from having too many volunteers. We're just getting back into having volunteers. But right now we have 10 staff members. And we do have quite a few students, Georgia Tech students and Georgia State students, that can help us out part-time. But they are, you know, paid employees. Now, do they have the knowledge? Like, I'm not one. I do recycle. I recycle everything I can. But when you look at the bottom of plastic, say... Um, a milk jug or something else, you know, it has the number, like it'll have the number three or number five. And right. I don't know what that means. But do, if I go up to one of your staff members at Charm and ask, do they know all of that? Yes, they, oh. we go through quite a bit of training here. And there's certain sections like the, the paint and chemicals. Um, the, the part-time, part-time kids don't work there. Those are senior staff members that have been through extensive training. But the plastics, definitely, you need a whole book on plastics. There's so many different things to do with plastics. It's nuts. I mean, just looking at the website now, plastic number two, number four, number five, number like, (laughs) I have no idea, A, how that's made, or B, how it's all broken down, but I know it's separate. And like Peggy said, inspired by having pesticides and old fertilizers. And, you know, as gardeners, we run into that when you probably have held on to it a few years too long and know it's something that you shouldn't use. With Peggy Whitlow Ratcliffe, the executive director of Live Thrive, and Peggy, you mentioned local municipalities and counties, they may offer these things once a year for folks, which is fantastic, especially around Earth Day, you know, recycling electronics or paint or something like that. But this gives folks the opportunity to come by Charm and do it uh, year-round, open on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, not only bringing our recyclables, but how can folks get involved and help you out and be a part of this big project? On our website, there is a form to fill out if you would like to volunteer or if you would like to bring a corporate group or a school group down for a tour. We also offer classes that will either come to you, we can do Zoom, or you can come here to just learn the basics about recycling because it is very confusing. It definitely is. And I want to learn more and I want to get hands on. So I'm going to make a trip this summer and hopefully, you know, do a little video with you, some interactive stuff to really show folks what this is all about. And so far, this is the only charm location in Georgia, right? Actually, there is one in Athens, Georgia. So, hey, folks, if half of you are listening in Loganville or the athens Clark County area, (laughs) Winder, you're already almost there. Well, Peggy, thank you so much for really uh, opening folks' eyes to this and being so passionate about continuing this project in the community. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Can't wait for you to visit. Stay tuned, folks. Coming up when we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. You guessed it, the weather update for the weekend brought to you by Finley Roofing. So again, that website, if you loved what uh, Peggy Whitlow Radcliffe had to say, livethrive.org, you'll be able to find 
Uh, their Center for Hard to Recycle Materials or CHARM, when they're open, what they accept, where they're located. Love stories like that, especially with this being so close to Earth Day. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. So we haven't heard the last of Clint just yet. He's coming up with something to add to my top three. So really a number four. Uh, Number one, clean out bird baths. Keep them half full with water. Make sure you're keeping up with hummingbird feeders too, cleaning them and filling them. Number two, large dirt mounds in sunny areas. Sound familiar? You've got fire ants. The mounds can reach seven inches high and 24 inches or more across. Yikes. Use a broadcast bait. Brands like Amdro or Ortho going to get the job done. Number three, plant corn, bean, and pea seeds now. Plant tall growing crops like okra, but more like pole beans and corn on the north side of other vegetables. That makes sense if you think about it. That'll prevent the other ones from getting shaded out. And plant two or more rows of corn for better pollination. Now, as promised, with number four, UGA turf grass specialist Clint Waltz is back. So aside from maintaining good mowing practices, um, keeping tall fescue at two to three inches high, the warm season grasses like Bermuda, centipede, zoysia, and so on, mowing those to about an inch and an inch and a half in height. And man, Clint, with my tall fescue, I'm trying to keep up with mowing that at least every five to nine days, uh, really not waiting too long in between. But otherwise, what is something that's very timely that folks could be doing on their lawns right now this weekend? Now's a good time to get our fertilizer, first nitrogen fertilization application out on our warm season grasses. So if you have Bermuda grass or centipede grass or St. Augustine grass or uh, zoysia grass, this is the time of year to go ahead and get that first nitrogen application out on those. Uh, Environmental conditions are favorable for growth. Thank you so much, Clint. Loved the conversation we had live in the studio back on the first Saturday of the month. And yes, folks, I'm away today, but a lot more of really quality, good information. You know, I'm passionate about giving it to you. You're passionate about receiving it. We have a good time here on Green and Growing That coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, plus Pike Nursery and Hydrangeas. All of that ahead on Green and Growing on WSB.